Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins, and I'm super happy to be here with Shadow Davis, my guest today. And just before we get started, I'm going to make sure Rockfin is going because it's a manual little situation over here. And if you like, oh, it's ready to go. If you like uncensored platforms, are you on Rockfin, by the way, Shadow? I've never even heard of Rockfin. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. So there you go. maybe I'll investigate it after we're done here uh, this afternoon. I heard you're uh, getting some shadow banning on your own platforms yeah. there. So this might be a way to go. It's by well, invite only if you need one. Facebook definitely is is uh, got me in the grasp of a shadow ban, but on Rumble uh, everything seems to be still a go, and on Twitch I don't know. I that, those are the three platforms that I'm on, but I'm thinking about switching over to Odyssey from Twitch, and we'll just take it from there, and maybe add a couple more platforms along the way. Right, right. You're not on YouTube, correct? I think I'd probably be pulled off YouTube in about three minutes <laughs> or less. I'm amazed I'm still here. Heavily shadow banned, though, I hear all the time. Yeah. And uh, so here's the Rockfin link for anyone who wants to jump on an uncensored platform. We've already got some people over there. Hello to Rockfin. And we are on Facebook, where I am intensely shadow banned, so I usually <laughs> don't get uh, a whole lot of viewers from that side, but mostly, mostly here on YouTube. Hello, Jim Sippy. Nice to see you. And uh, so, yeah, if you're new to the King Heroes journey, I'll just let you know a little bit about what inspired this to be in the first place. It was, um, I am a shadow, you and I are still getting to know each other. I am a recovering feminist. I, uh, all my life, wanted women to take over the world, thinking that any problems we have are uh, a man's responsibility. They did it. And I had a complete breakthrough when my father passed away and realized all of that angst I had inside with the masculine was, in fact, right here and was culturally engineered. And that's what inspired me to create the King Heroes Journey podcast and work for men. I'd been working for women for um, 15 years, almost exclusively, and really opened up my world in that respect. So I love to host people who are out there saying the things other people don't want to say. They're afraid to lose friends and family and the uh, you know approval of society, but they say it anyway because it needs to be said. And they're out there breaking ground, setting examples for the rest of us, how to do that ourselves. Because I, in my estimate, if we all spoke up and said what was real and true, then uh, this would be a very different world. So Shadow, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here, Beth. Thank you for uh, the invitation. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, I've been watching you over the last couple of years, uh, evolving your own platform and uh, radio show, which is awesome. You, you broadcast every single night. Every single night, 8 o'clock Central, uh, like I said, on those three platforms, uh, Twitch and uh, Rumble and on Facebook. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, if you want to shoot me any links, I can drop them in the, the chat or put them up as well. And hello to Stuart. We always have a very engaged, lovely audience here. Rex Georgia here live. Excellent. So good. Three baskets living. Love it. <laughs> so good to see you. I'm so interested, Beth. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm interested in, in what you said as a recovering feminist, which is uh a, a phrase i've never heard before uh so that's why i laughed but um it, you, when your father died what exactly happened uh, if this is too much uh i'm sorry but I, I just found it fascinating you said that your father passed away and, and you realized in that moment that uh, men weren't so bad after all <laughs> or did it yeah. take a while yeah, you know, no, it was actually quite instant that it was like I wore a box around my head uh, my whole life being brought up in the I was born in the late 60s and, uh, you know, spent the whole 
of the life hearing this growing feminist movement and internalizing it, not realizing that I didn't invent it and that hating men was, you know, that was okay. You always heard women talk about men in a derogatory way. And even if it was your own husband that brought home the bacon, for some reason, they're always complaining that the socks are here and the the garbage didn't get taken out or some kind of, you know, it was just a normal way to be. And and then that was very supported by by, uh, the political structures. And um, yeah, I just fully embodied that way of being and uh, I was totally convinced if there was a problem in the world, it was because of the patriarchy, because men ruled the world. What was your interaction with men like at that time? Was it always standoffish or was it even uh, uh, angry? Not the best. I see you're going to interview me here, which is just fine. I well, love I'm, to this ask is, questions. <laughs> this is your show and I find it fascinating. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, not the best, right? Long, long trail of of difficult, difficult uh, relationships with men. You know, with my father in particular, lots of war there. Now, now we were very closely aligned at the same time. You know that there can be strong divide and and strong uh, attachment. I, I actually worked for him in his in his uh, public relations and communication firm. I was vice president by that time. I was twenty five, so he mentored me very closely. But I was always at war with the masculine. And so, you know, any conflicts that would erupt with, say, you know, a partner of mine or my father or men in the world, I actually became very masculine in the marketing world. I I was named a ball breaker. I didn't find that out until I nearly dropped out of a stage four lymphoma in 1999. But, uh, you know, I was wearing the suits and I was given the orders and telling people what to do and cracking the whip. And uh, it was, you know, it was something that until my father passed away, I couldn't see through the illusion of where the war actually lay. It was right here inside myself. Mm-hmm. And you might not know this, but I work with archetypes. I, um, I actually published a book just before the pandemic hit on my journey with, uh, with cancer, surviving that, and the eight archetypes of the hero's journey. And then I saw, as I began to write the book, how there was a very different experience from the feminine compared to the masculine, and that men went through the very same hero's journey in a very different way, struggling with different things along the same path. And so at that point, when I saw there was no, you know, there was no more of my father to have conflict with, and it was between me and me, I healed that part of myself, the masculine, and right away began to see and interact with men in a completely different way. So thanks for asking, because wow. I think my audience doesn't hear it very much. <laughs> I am going to have to have you on my show. That's a fascinating journey. My my uh, my philosophy on, oh God, I mean, on, on people in general is you take them one at a time. It's always been the way that I've thought about it. Uh, it for example, if I were a manager in some firm, I would, and there was a job opening, I would interview, let's say, 20 people. I would not make sure there were 10 women and 10 men there. I would not make sure there were three people of uh, African origin or whatever. I would just take the 20 best people who applied for the job. The good old days. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's how it should be. I mean, you, it doesn't matter what your skin color is or your cultural background or your religious beliefs or your sexuality. That doesn't matter to me. What matters is, can you do the job and can you do it well? Exactly. That's reality, right? That's, well, that's reality. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, seem no. so much anymore, but, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. hopefully yeah. we can get back to the common sense. 
Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, I would love to ask you, one of the things I wanted to do today was geek out on podcasting. When you and I had a chance to meet in person, I don't know if you remember, and I don't hold it against you, but we were over at the Pony Corral, and you were hosting an event in that time when nobody could really go anywhere, and certainly not unmasked. And this restaurant, maybe I shouldn't say their name out loud, maybe it's okay now or something, but there we were having fun. I, I know they shut us down dancing. That was against the COVID restrictions. We could be in there like eating and making merry, but not dancing. That was, and it was so <laughs> funny. And then when I met you, I, I, I mentioned that I had a podcast and you asked me if I liked it. And I said, I love it. And you could just see there was a, you know, a real connection there. It's a thing. It's almost an archetype of its own, that, that desire to not only just get information for yourself and connect in the community, but to bring that to your people. So mm. what's it like for you to be a podcaster? Well, uh, it's very similar in terms of an audience response to when I was on radio. I spent 37 years on radio all across the country. And uh, the similarities are you're talking to people, you're connecting with people. Uh, generally with a podcast, you're focused on one topic, not me, but a lot of podcasts. For example, you know, if you want to know the history of early Hungarian cabinet making, you can find a podcast for that. If you, <laughs> you know, if you want to, you know, learn, uh, you know, how to deal with uh, backney, you can find a podcast for that. Uh, but my show is just a, a news talk, entertainment type show. It's uh, it's very casual. It's very laid back. As you can see, this is my set here. You know, there's no bells and whistles on it. Maybe a, a blue light in the background, but that's about it. Uh, but the difference between podcasting and radio is that, uh, you know, with radio, people don't necessarily tune in for you. They're listening to the radio station that you happen to be on. And mm -hmm. they're listening for the music. They might be listening for a contest. When it comes to podcasting, they are searching you out. They want to hear what you have to say about whatever topics you're going to discuss. And so uh, you have a lot more dedicated, ferocious following, if you will. People become absolutely drawn to the show and uh, you can build a community quite easily with a podcast. Whereas a radio station, it's just a radio station. Might be on in the background. They might not even be paying attention. But with a podcast, you are talking directly to people, especially, you know, right now as you're doing live streaming. Uh, this is a fantastic opportunity to interact with people. I see the, the comments, you know, we can go mm -hmm. to the comments and we can talk to people instantaneously. Whereas on, mm -hmm. on radio, uh, not so much anymore. So this is one of the reasons I love it. I love engaging and connecting with people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, exactly. Oh, uh, somebody's asking about your name, Ethan. Uh, Shadow was was your dad, the CIA. <laughs> and I did, I did actually want to ask you about your name. How did you choose that? Well, all right. So I was working at. You want the whole story? I want the whole it's, story. It's kind of a long. Okay, so 1987. I was working at CKYAM, so KY58 in Winnipeg, which yeah, was a, a top remember. 40. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had the the fun stickers and, and all of the, you know, top 40 music. And City FM was the sister station right across the hallway. And they were revamping their radio station. They had been a rock station to begin with when they started in 1978. They went to a, an adult contemporary thing for a few years in the middle of the 80s. 
which was a huge failure. So they decided they were going to go back to rock and they needed a new team of radio personalities to do that. And I guess they saw something in me. So they came across the hall and they asked, hey, would you be interested in coming over to City FM? And I said, absolutely, I would. I mean, that's the station I listened to in high school. Mm -hmm. So uh, I sat down in the program director's office and he said, all right, so we want you to start next week. It was like, I think a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. We want you to start next week, but your name, your name, we, we need to change your name. We need something flashier. And I said, okay, well, what, what do you got in mind? He says, well, we've got Lamont Hollywood on the air right now. Across the street on 97, they've got a guy called The Bird. There's all these, you know, crazy names. It was, it was hair, glam rock time, you know, Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. And, and so it was all about, yeah, it was all about showbiz. And mm -hmm. so he said, take the weekend, come back to me on Monday with a name. And if you haven't got a name that I like, then you're going to be Mike Oz. And I said, Mike Oz? And he goes, yeah, Mike Oz. And I went, I don't want to be Mike Oz. And he goes, well, that's, <laughs> that's going to be your name. And so I went, oh, man. So I, I, on the Friday night, I invited a bunch of friends over, big bottle of rye. I was uh, 23, I think, maybe. And uh, so oh, you five were a puppy. Of us, yeah, five of us sitting around. And, uh, and I said, well, I need a name. Why do you need a name, man? You already got a name, huh? And they're all laughing. And I said, well, I'm <laughs> going to be working on City FM starting next week. And they all freaked out because, you know, that's the radio station they listened to growing up too, right? So they thought it was cool. So I said, I need a flashy name. So we came up with, and I hadn't shaved in a few days. So one of them said, Shadow, five o'clock Shadow. And I went, oh, good idea. But we need to make it a name. So instead of a W, you notice that I got an E on the end of it. We made it a name. And all we needed then was a last name. So we cracked the phone book and we, we found all the generic, you know, last names of the time. Like there was Williams and Thomas and, and Michaels and all those names. And so Davis was the last one. We'd scratched off all the others. And I went Shadow Davis to the five guys who were hammered by now. <laughs> and, and they went, yeah, Shadow Davis. And it, it, when I first said it, it didn't roll off my tongue so well. But as you keep saying it, it's just your name all of a sudden. And, um, you know, it's been like that for 35 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I've met, I've had great friends, Beth, over the years that I've met with that name. And they call me that name. They know what my actual name is, but they don't, they choose not to call me that. They call me Shadow. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that it is what it is. So it may as well be my name. I mean, it's not legally on my driver's license or anything but that's what people know me as so i just stuck with it names are so interesting i'm a student of anthropology back in my university days and they would always use a name change as a way to initiate someone into a new stage of life right and and sometimes a person would go have several names over a lifetime because they were really truly marking with that rite of passage. Of That's the name interesting. Change. That was definitely a big change in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, going from from a uh, top forty radio station into a rock radio station, it's a completely different thing. Uh, you know, rock radio and country radio, I would suggest, would be the two types of radio formats where people are, you know, absolutely dedicated to their radio station. If you're talking about a pop station, you've probably got six or seven of them in any given city, and you if you don't like the song, you just punch it out. 
But when it comes to a rock station, for some reason, people are far more dedicated uh, to uh, that kind of a station than any other. So, there yeah, big change. And when you'd go out in the streets, all of a sudden people would be recognizing you. And I thought that was weird because back in those days, there was no Facebook or, or you know, Twitter. So they really wouldn't know what you looked like unless they were looking in the window of the control room somehow off the fourth floor balcony across the street. Exactly. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them did do that from time to time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and the new era of video in video and radio. Uh, someone was saying that you have a great uh, radio voice and that I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. I'm very tuned into the sound of people's voices. As a child, I would listen to music and never actually hear the words. I'm listening for the tone so right. carefully. It took me years to hear, oh, there's words there. <laughs> They're saying right. something or nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, it's a really good thing. Great quality. Well, there it. is a lot of, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, it's not so much that people will tune in for the sound of your voice, but if you've got kind of a scratchy voice or a high-pitched, nasally kind of a annoying sort of voice, people will go, oh, I can't take that. You know, it's, it's the same in podcasting. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how many different podcasts you listen to, but each one has got its own uh, tenor, its own quality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it could be the best podcast ever with the most informed, well-spoken host that you could ever find on the on the planet. But if their voice is bad or the quality of production is bad, you know, if their microphone is over modulating or if they sound like they're sitting in the corner of the room, we in broadcasting would call that room sound, you know, where you sound like you're in a cave uh, or <laughs> the bottom of a garbage can. It just becomes so annoying that you can't take it. You know, even after a couple of minutes, like, I'd love to listen to this, but I can't take it. So, um, you know, it's mm -hmm. very important that we have all of those little technical things taken care of. And the sound of a voice is definitely uh, a benefit for podcasters uh, and live streamers, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So much can be read on the voice. Not everybody geeks out like this about sound, but uh, I can tell a lot about somebody by the sound of their voice. And I can often, you know, see if I am able to trust them or not. It's it's one of those things, not to say that I'm always like, looking for who to trust or watching my back these days or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, and it, how do you feel about that? By the way, is I, I'd love to. I'd love to find out first of all. If I back up in my own mind a bit, what was that transition from mainstream media to much more rogue media, or certainly independent media? And uh, it, I was I was spending some time with your archives last night and going through and trying to see exactly when was the transition from. A more mainstream kind of perspective on life, which it appears to be. I never, you never know what's going on behind in oh, your, that's, yeah. That's a long, long story. And uh, it, I guess it started about 15 years ago when I had, I, I was still working in radio at that time. I forget where I was. I think I, I may have been, because I've been everywhere. I've been to Kingston, Ontario. I had a great five-year run there. I worked in Ottawa for a few years. I worked in Calgary for a few years, Winnipeg, obviously. Uh, London, Ontario, Saskatoon. So Toronto even. Um, and I just got bored because there's so many parameters that are put upon you. As a radio personality, you just have to stay within that box. And if you don't, you're going to get your knuckles slapped back pretty hard by management. Um, I'm not suggesting people should go on and be racist or, or anything like that, but 
as as you know, as the world knows, I mean, the constraints of that box have gotten tighter and tighter and tighter, especially in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I had reached the end of the rope. You know, when you get to a certain level of performance in whatever job you do, I mean, there's not really much else you can you can reach for. So I was bored. I, I'd been bored for 15 years in, mm-hmm. in radio. And uh, then I had the opportunity. I was working in Winnipeg and I was doing a rock station. And the management uh, from the company I was working for approached me. And they asked me if I would be interested in moving over to a talk uh, radio station. So it was in Winnipeg. It was a morning show. And I thought that would be an interesting challenge. So I said, yes, let's go ahead and do that. Uh, I worked at it for maybe a year and a half. And in that year and a half, my relationship with management became more and more stressed because I just would not fall into the character they wanted me to play. And that's what people do on the radio. Um, They play a character. And I was told several times, you know, your right wing views are not conducive to the management and, and, uh, and our listenership. And I said, what are you even talking about? What right wing views? I mean, the only right wing view that I hold as a person is I like fiscal responsibility right now in the past few years, that's changed because of all the craziness in the world and, you know, the 78 genders and, and all of that stuff. But at the time, it was about fiscal responsibility. I, I wanted to keep taxes down. I thought it was crazy that we were spending so much more than we were bringing in as a government. And I would say those things. But, you know, on the air, I was very open-minded. I mean, I had all kinds of LGBTQ plus people on the show. I had, you know, all a wide array of, of guests and topics and, and whatnot. But they just didn't like me. For whatever reason, I just rubbed this one person in particular the wrong way. So we fought over that for a year and a half. I got so stressed out because they were terrible. Um, I I actually became clinically depressed and I had to take a uh, stress leave. So long story short was I was dismissed from there. I think it was January of 2018. So four years is rolled by from the last time I was on the radio to, uh, to now. And <clears throat> I had a good payout. It was, uh, it was a good, so I took a year and just thought about what I was going to do next. I knew that I couldn't go back to radio because I'd just be unhappy again. Um, it just, I, I just saw it going way downhill very quickly at that point. I thought there's no more, uh, there's no more happiness in this for me. So what can I do? I created a podcast uh, called the Shadow Davis Mental Wellness Show. And I put 50 episodes of that out there, uh, interviewing people, just regular people who had been through turmoil. And I was amazed at how much people go through. You know, when you're looking at somebody on the street, you're passing them by in the mall or a sidewalk, you don't understand what their story is. And if they upset you in some way or somebody splashes you with their car because they drove through a puddle too quickly, but you don't know what they've been through that day. Uh, so that was a very eye-opening, but also very heavy thing for me to do, um, because I spent a lot of time editing those episodes to get them down to a an acceptable length, and of course, putting different uh, production effects on them so it would be a palatable for the listener. 
And when you listen to something like that over and over and over again, and I'm not going to get too much into the detail of what people discussed, because I think it might bring some people down, to be honest. But when you hear that sort of heavy stuff uh, repeatedly over a week, it brings you down as well. It, 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 it's very heavy load to bear. So I had to stop doing it because it was dragging me into a very dark abyss. And I thought, you still need to do something. You don't want to go back to radio. Um, you don't want to move. I mean, I was happy here in my hometown. I grew up in Transcona. So, you know, I, I didn't want to go anywhere. I'd moved enough in my life. So I was sitting on my couch one day, and it was fall. It was fall of well, just a couple of years ago. And my friend Karen said, why don't you go on Facebook Live and tell your ghost story? I think it was coming up on Halloween. I've got a ghost story that goes back to 1990-ish, 91, where I actually had a ghost in my house. Hmm. But um, I said, nah, I don't know about that. I'd have to have a shower. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to look acceptable for people to want to watch that. But two or three days after that, Beth, I, I went on and I did my very first live stream. And I felt such a release because I think for creative types, you know, like myself, people who, who are looking, you know, I mean, I, I find live streaming, I find acting, writing, it's an art form. You know, musicians, mm -hmm. the same thing. It's an art form. It's how you, you know, turn a phrase. It's where you put the emphasis on certain words when you're speaking. It's, you know, it's how you speak, the passion you speak with, everything. And, um, and the engagement and the connection is, is yeah. part of that artistry, the living organic element. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it is. So I, I just, I went on and I thought that was fun. I have to do that again. <laughs> and so I went on the next night and the next night after that and the next night after that. And I thought, maybe I can, maybe I can build something with this because I, you know, at, at the time it was the very early stages of it. I didn't even know how to really do this. Uh, so I taught myself very quickly uh, certain things that you needed to have technically speaking so that you could, you know, have a, have a decent looking and sounding show. And I worked on my background uh, a little bit and I, I got it to where I wanted it. And, you know, but it's, it's a work in progress right now. But anyway, getting back to that early stage, the, the listenership, sorry, the viewership, I'm so used to calling it listenership, <laughs> right? The viewership was increasing uh, to, from the point where I think I first started, I may have had 25 live viewers because you see it in the corner, how many people are watching. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it didn't really matter to me too much. And over the course of the last year and a half, that number has increased to sometimes over a thousand live viewers per night on the show. Mm -hmm. um, and I made a very important decision last year about this time. I was talking to a friend about this because I knew there was something wrong with what was going on with the pandemic and the way the governments were handling these mandates and, and you know, police threatening to taser people for skating on the ice without a mask on. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that video from Calgary. And then mm -hmm. there was a video of police dragging people out of their home in Quebec on New Year's Eve. And there were so many things that didn't make sense. You know, you can walk into a restaurant wearing a mask, you sit down, then you can take the mask off. What? Like, you know, you can't They're still fly doing it, which is right. right. You can yeah. fly out a plane, but you know, you have to go through all the testing, but you can ride a city bus, which is worse you know, in terms of proximity to people. 
uh, without any testing or without any vaccine passport. And and so I just went there. There's something so wrong with all of this, even though I'd been commenting on it for the first five or six months of my show's existence. I made a decision. I said, I'm going to go hard on this because it's wrong. It's what's going on right now is wrong. And as I made that decision, things got worse and worse. And the divide between people became worse and worse. And they hadn't brought the vaccine passport in yet. But I was asking, I remember asking a restaurant owner in Winnipeg, I said, do you ever foresee a day where you would be turning people away at the door because they weren't vaccinated? He laughed. He said, no, no, no. No, I don't see that at all. This guy happened to be uh, very high up in the Manitoba Restaurant Association. And guess what he did a few months later? He instigated uh, several different restaurants in Manitoba to go ahead and do that. He encouraged them to do that uh, at the government's request. And I, I became livid. I went, wow, this guy is Benedict Arnold of the worst kind. You know, he's he's not only is he into segregation, but he's a liar. And I just didn't. And like a ringleader. And a ringleader, encouraging people to mm-hmm. go ahead and, and make that divide even worse. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw all these th- things happening, I, I I was already down the rabbit hole, Beth. I already knew what was going on, or at least my opinion of what was going on. It has nothing to do with the QAnon people out there. It has nothing to do with lizard people. It has nothing to do with, with any of that. It has oh, to do... Good. <laughs> no, it's, it's just not that, right? I mean, like, I, 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 look, I believe in people going out and doing their own research. But what I believe in is if you're going to come back with a story, you better be able to damn well prove it. You've got to have some evidence behind your accusations or even your opinions, or it means absolutely nothing. For example, in the last two months, since Pierre Polyev has decided he wants to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, people have been spreading around some weird website that I can't even find myself that claims that he was on the board of directors or he was at least a speaker at one time with the World Economic Forum. Now, he's denied that repeatedly on several different alternative media broadcasts. There is no proof of any linkage between Pierre Polyev and the World Economic Forum or the Young Global Leaders Program. And yet there are people who are absolutely adamant that he is based upon that one website where some guy makes a wild accusation with no proof. Right. That's what the left wing corporate media does. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll say, you know, sources, anonymous sources say when you say anonymous sources, that means that you can say and do whatever you want to say. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can say, well, we're going to keep our sources quiet so that they don't get in trouble. (laughs) I'm sorry, but whatever. Anyway, uh, so I decided, you know, last year about this time to really go hard and explore all of this. And it's just become what it's become now. And I'm very happy that people seem to enjoy what I do every night. And uh, I'm going to keep doing it. Someone says it's on the way back machine or is that not credible? I mean, uh, no, it's, it's not credible. It it's credible as any source on the internet that's making claims, like because you're just you're you're just going to find the details and still have to verify. What you see on mm-hmm. that website is Pierre Polyev's name on the World Economic Forum, and I think it it's probably a screenshot of it. It doesn't say what his connection to them is. Uh, it, it's not you can't even tell if it's real or not. And that's what I find bothersome. You know, mm-hmm. you have to explore everything. When, you're, when you want to put something out there, 
And this is where we get the fake news from. It happens on both sides of the equation. I think oh, it yeah. happens. I think it happens more on, uh, you know, the right side because people just want to believe something. Right. And so they'll find this, you know, badly edited photo or a badly edited website. You know, you can see it. You don't even have to look that hard. It's, it's clearly fake, but they see it and they go, oh, yeah, here it is. I got it. And they put it out there. Whereas I think, you know, the misinformation and disinformation that comes from the federal government, especially and provincial governments as well, and their left wing corporate allies in the media, uh, that is contrived. That is absolutely contrived. They know they are putting out falsehoods. And that's what drives me crazy, especially when it comes to the CBC, who are publicly funded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you had any clash whatsoever? Like, I know you're not involved, but you must have relationships in that arena. I was trying to think, I was listening to you talk about some names. So back in my corporate days, I was doing doing a lot of media relations. So I knew, I worked with Sylvia Kuzik and Diana Swain and Roger Curry. And and uh, I was trying to come up with some other names and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's such a past life for me. I have to go back in my archive, archives, but. Uh, All good people, the names you just mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So has there been any clash now with what you're doing and what that, because that mainstream narrative is pretty different from what you're putting out. You mean as far as they're concerned? Yeah. I haven't heard from them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, you know what I did do? There, there actually are a couple of uh, media people who have been let go. And I'll, I'll give you that story in a second if you want to hear it. Mm -hmm. One in Calgary, one in Vancouver. But uh, here in Winnipeg, there was the mini convoy, the rally that was at the legislature. Mm -hmm. And I say mini because there was the Ottawa one going on at the same time, which was massive. It was a nationwide thing. Mm -hmm. And the one in Manitoba was, you know, Manitoba people who couldn't make it out to the Ottawa convoy. I'm not saying it was small. I'm just saying it was smaller than the Ottawa. Mm -hmm. In case uh, people are watching right now who didn't get a chance to go. First of all, let me just say this, that everybody there was there based on love and acceptance. And there was absolutely no racism or any sort of uh, hatred amongst any of those people mm -hmm. at all. And mm -hmm. I was there every day for, for two, two and a half straight weeks. I saw, I met those people. I talked to them. It was hugs. It was community it was closeness and friendship yeah oh i wanted right, to talk so, about this too we can come back to the convoy yeah no i've, I've got the, uh, the the story here so there was one day where antifa decided they wanted to come out and i i think they called themselves on facebook they created a facebook group called stand up winnipeg or take back winnipeg or something now these people who organized this they were all antifa they're from the local antifa chapter in in winnipeg and um, one guy's name is Omar Kenarath. I think he's going to be running for city council in the fall. Dangerous, very dangerous. But anyway, they had him on CJOB, CTV Morning News. And I think they had him on, on Global News as well. So he was on three mainstream media sources. A guy who represents anarchists. Okay. This guy was uh, watching and laughing as the statues of the legislature came down last year, last summer. Right. I mean, he probably instigated it. I can't say that he did for sure, but he was definitely, he had a hand in it. There was also a big uh, confrontation last year between Palestinians and Israelis that happened at the ledge. He was there. He was there whipping up that crowd, the Palestinians. He was throwing things. I mean, these people 
they know how to do this. They throw frozen water bottles. They throw rocks. They hide behind children. I, and I can say that because I saw it for myself. I was there. I, I was watching them do it, and I couldn't believe it. The Israelis on the other side of the street were just kind of standing there with their hands in their pockets, not doing anything. <sighs> but they had this guy who was responsible for all of this hatred on the mainstream media. So I messaged Richard Cloutier, who is the afternoon host on CJOB. Mm -hmm. And I said, Richard, you, you gave credibility to a fascist. Now they say they're anti-fascist. I say they are fascist, period. They're not Antifa, they're just fa. <laughs> and and uh, I couldn't even believe, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking of, mm -hmm. right? I, who put you up to this? Mm -hmm. And I never got a response from Richard. Right. Either he didn't read the message or he laughed it off or he was too embarrassed to reply to me. Mm -hmm. I know that Charles Adler is no longer with Chorus, which surprised me a lot because Charles was a very popular nationwide figure on that uh, in that company. I know Jeff Courier, who is a very popular uh, daytime radio host in Winnipeg, is no longer with that company. I can't tell you why, because neither one of them will tell me. But mm -hmm. my speculation would be is that they didn't go along with the narrative mm -hmm. and they were either released or they just left of their own accord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't yeah, even gonna... get, mm -hmm. sorry, I, I can't even get one of them to talk about it because I think they're probably signed an NDA. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a wheat in the chaff kind of a time. And, mm -hmm. and if you, and by my estimate, if you stayed in that environment where you were having to put out things that were like clearly not true, and and clearly not moral, and you know all you just a long string. We don't even have to go through all of that, but there would have to be some kind of split in your own consciousness. You would literally have to leave yourself behind and go off. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about needing yeah. you to be. Uh, a persona, a personality, uh, an actor on a stage. And that's also a split, right? If you've got so much of your energy invested in, in this, this entity that, that requires energy to create every single day and you divorce your real self, like this is my subject in my full-time day job when I'm not fighting for freedom and all that kind of thing, is to see how, how is that psyche organized and how is it designed um, how does it how does it act in in a natural environment, and then how does it react in an unnatural environment? And and so these splits, like you, you're just trying to imagine what people are going through in those in those professions and how they must have become going into public for five minutes today. And it was it it unfortunately is sad. You can see the decline of uh, of people and their you know, now they can take a mask off and they don't take it off. <laughs> kind of you know, I want to yell at people. people again. I, I addressed this on the show the other night. I think some of those people are warming up to the idea, right? And I use this analogy. There was John Cougar. And John Cougar, everybody knows John Cougar, right? But in the mid-80s, he decided to transition to his real name. He just wanted to go uh, for his next album, be John Mellencamp. But the record company said, no, no, nobody's going to know who John Mellencamp is. And so they transitioned his name. They went from John Cougar to John Cougar Mellencamp to John right. Mellencamp finally. Well, I think that's what people are doing with masks right now. They, for different reasons, obviously. I mean, like I was out uh, over this past weekend, a, a lot of places. And 
I saw many, many people with their masks on, but they were either below their nose or even below their mouth, just kind of hanging on their chin. And I, and you want to walk up to one of those people and say, either put it on or take the freaking thing off, one or the other, <laughs> right? Like, what are you gonna? What, what are you? It's doing no good. Either take it off. And so, but I don't obviously because there. One thing I have found when you do approach somebody like that, even if it's somebody you know, is the reaction is very quick, and it's either anger or it's absolute fear one or the other mm -hmm. and they feel as though they're being attacked even if you say it in a very calm and measured voice right like who oh, you're attacking me no i'm not i'm just saying like you can take the mask off or why are you wearing it you know and and that will trigger them mm -hmm. and i i find that to be troublesome mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. getting back to what you were talking about you know the persona the split um, between Shadow Davis and my real self. I, I've explained this to people many times over the years. I am the same, right? But Shadow Davis is just, you know, maybe a little bit more, 10% more than my real personality. He, he, he might say something or go a little further with his opinion than, than I would. But it's the same person. I would never, it's an offshoot. It's an enhancement of your, of your personality because, you know, from the time I first got into radio in 1982, I remember program directors telling me, you're in showbiz, man. You have to be in showbiz. You have to engage people and you can't engage people by sitting there talking like this and being blah, 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 blah. You've got to be able to grab their attention. So that comes out in you, that showmanship, that performance angle. But uh, I don't think that Shadow Davis would be able to think completely differently than the real me you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's you know, a, that's I, a different level into alters right where where the personality literally um you know that the split might be much more permanent and the parts are not aware of each other i uh, know no no, no yeah, i that, know that you're would not be there. a complete and total split personality right and right. so these people are absolutely conscious of what they're doing so that means one of two things they are have completely compromised their integrity or they believe it mm -hmm, mm -hmm, now i know mm -hmm. that many of them have compromised their integrity for the paycheck and that's not just radio people that is people in general that's why you know i i said on the show and i've said on the show many times and i think that's why you uh, titled this episode there's more of us than you think there are people out there who believe Everything that's gone on has been a complete sham, but they're petrified to come out and say it because they think there's going to be this massive backlash against them. They might lose their job. They might be canceled, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that is absolutely possible. But so what? Mm -hmm. You know, I've got uh, two friends. Sooner the better. Two friends who were in radio who lost their jobs based upon their opinions. One in Vancouver named uh, Kid Carson. Uh, not a friend, but <clears throat> we know of each other. Kid went on the air and did a whole, it was during the convoy in Ottawa. He went on the air and did a whole big thing about what he really believes. And based upon that, he was fired. So he's got his own podcast going on now. And I'm happy he did that. I was disappointed it took him so long. Uh, Heather Prozac is another one. Heather uh, worked at a radio station in Calgary. And she was in Winnipeg for many years and she was in Regina for many years. And she is one of the sweetest, most big hearted people that you'll ever meet. She went to the convoy in Ottawa 
because she wanted to see what was really going on. Because like many of us, she did not believe the left-wing corporate media. She wanted to see it because the left-wing corporate media, I think at that time was saying that there were uh, you know, uh, seditionists in the crowd and there was firearms found and, and there of course were Nazis and, and uh, Confederate flags and whatnot. And all of that was completely untrue. And you can see now in the corporate media, they're starting to admit that. But anyway, Heather went out to Ottawa. She spent a week there and uh, she made a video, put it on Instagram. She did not say where she worked. She didn't even say what city she lived in, I don't think. But the video was all about, wow, you, you would not believe the love here. That's what all this is about. And she spent a week, like I said, she got up every morning. She walked through the people. She had an amazing time. She gets back to Calgary. And I'm not going to go into too much detail of what happened. But she's no longer with that radio station. Right. Right. And, yeah. Just reporting and, on love. <laughs> right. Well, like that wasn't even a report. It was just like going on and saying, this is what I think. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is uh, this is what I think. And why is that wrong that we should be able to go on a public forum and say what we think? Mm -hmm. I mean, this mm -hmm. is what my experience is based upon what I've seen. And, and this is what I think. But the censorship is so out of control, not just from uh, social media, but also from corporate America, corporate Canada. You know, and, and this these two past examples that I just talked about are absolutely what's going on right now. So, yeah, people should probably have reason to be concerned if they haven't got enough money to sustain sustain themselves without their jobs. But that needs to stop. And mm -hmm. I think the more of us that stand up all at once and say something, the faster that whole thing is going to go away. It needs to, because it's no way for a culture to be. Right. And, you know, so when, when the society tries to make or starts to make unreasonable demands of you to do things that make no sense and even bring harm to you and that they put your livelihood on the line for that purpose. And, and so there's going to come a point of choice sooner or later. Like, did you take the first jab for your job? Did you take the second jab for your job? Are you going to take the third jab for your job? How many 27 jabs? What, what's, what's your line in the sand? Right. And to me, it, uh, one of my roles in my life is as a business coach. I have always seen this since for 20 years when I was kicked out of my life by inventing a stage four lymphoma and getting so sick I almost died. I, I kicked myself out of my life because it wasn't right for me, like 100%. There were things I loved about it, but the whole corporate world, it's it's uh, faceless, nameless, soulless. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't feel like I could just quit because it was my family's business. Anyway, that's a big story. Maybe I'll tell it on your, on your podcast. Sure. But, but I knew at that point, I knew that everyone was going to have to make their way in the world. Right. So, you know, you could have easily got a whole bunch of different jobs in, in the media world. Many people would have had you by that point. You had a reputation and and audiences. And uh, and then you decided to go rogue instead to go independent and do your own thing. I hope you don't mind that that term. rogue. No, I think it's kind of funny. I, 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 don't, I don't you know, it's funny that you would say it like that. Uh, and I think there's still many people who believe that that is the case because there's this monolith they call the mainstream media. Yeah. And I say, we have to start, well, we have to stop using their expressions, right? Mainstream media is not a monolith. As a matter of fact, it's not even mainstream media. 
mainstream to me denotes uh, something that's right down the middle, right? Mm. The way the media has gone these days, they are so far left. They are corporate in that corporate culture that you just talked about, Beth. Uh, faceless, soulless. Decisions come from Toronto or Vancouver where three people get just redlined right out of a job. And that was going on well before any of this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't see them as anything mainstream at all. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that I and many others like me are far more mainstream than they are because our opinions are based upon common sense. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, exactly. And if we flip over to the, the truckers convoy, I actually didn't realize you were in Ottawa. I saw you interviewing uh, Todd McDougall uh, quite a few nights in a row. So I, didn't... I wasn't in Ottawa, but okay. he was and he right. came on the show from Ottawa. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, OK, good. I got that right then. And yeah, so it was a very fascinating thing to watch. I, I had all my eyes on it and uh, several hours went into it. And right away, I found one of the trucker convoy guys, uh, guy organizers to have on my show and talk about that and got deep in this rabbit hole and started to see that there was, first of all, you know, multiple factions. There was this the whole Zello thing I was tuned into for a couple of days. Right. Yeah. And then my guest that I had on, um, and his name escapes me at, at this second, I'll, I'll think of it, Jason, somebody. And he's like, no, no, don't listen to Zello. And I'm like, huh? That kind of makes it sound like you're not on board with them. That's right. They're not good. Oh, okay. So there's some, there's at least two factions going on here. Right. And as the days went on, you could see Pat King jumps on and then they come on and say, we have nothing to do with Pat King and try to divorce themselves from his whole thing. And, you know, I personally, I think the whole thing was a psyop in its initiation. It was started to actually create a famine. There's articles out there, at least one very detailed article that was written before in anticipation of this famine that was going to cr get created because of the, the supply chain thing. Like now, who knows? That could all, also just be a bunch of uh, BS. But I do believe that's what they were trying for. Now, in the meantime, the people rose up. The real people, the organic movement, and you said it uh, on one of your podcasts, I think, the other night, is that it came from the heart. It's still coming from the heart. Um, you know, the funny thing is, it's a very good thing or very good point you just made about the initiation of the convoy being a PSYOP. It's possible that it was. I don't know when it became a grassroots from the heart movement. I suspect that these two factions, and, and there were more than two, mm -hmm. but I suspect that these two factions, one was genuine and one was... Uh, controlled opposition and you can tell that from the bad actors that became involved with one of the factions some of the spokespeople that one faction of the truckers was using very 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 steeped in political background in terms of uh, uh, you know spinning stories both from the conservative and the liberal party. I can't recall their names right now, but I was wondering, because I looked both of these people up and I was wondering, how did they become involved with the truckers? They are political operatives. How did, you know, they're political staffers. That's their professional background. How did they get involved with this? Mm -hmm. But you're right. The other faction was absolutely grassroots. The thing is, I don't know which is which, even now. <laughs> It's, it's difficult to say. 
there's been so many people and getting back to the Pierre Polyev uh, World Economic Forum thing, there have been so many people who have been saying, well, he's controlled opposition. Well, he's controlled opposition. Well, he's controlled or she's controlled. So, all right, hold on. Let's just back up and take a breath for a second here and go, all right, if everybody is controlled opposition, then who are the good guys? <laughs> I have a joke with a girlfriend and she says to me, well, I'm not controlled opposition. <laughs> because honestly, you start going through most most of the characters on the stage are at some level. And and maybe some of them are are truly self-aware, you know, paid and bought for in that position. Others might be more like grifters just trying to take advantage of the situation, the fact that people are, people are gathering and responding to certain kinds of messages to manipulate. What I've noticed also, because I'm very deep into the law world, just as of the last couple of years, I never, ever wanted to study law, but uh, here I am. Hmm. Have a number of law groups, and uh, you know more. I think I've done 180 podcasts since the pandemic started, and just really trying to dig into what exactly uh, can be done here. What are the remedies at the level of the law? And there's a lot of personalities, a lot of characters in that show, and they all have something good to offer, at least 80, percent because otherwise, no one would listen to them. Right. And then they've got 20% where they take people either nowhere or sideways, completely off track. And especially yeah. when there's, you know, the big hopium, the big dose of hopium that they, they're, oh, we've got it all handled. I wrote a 192 page document and we're going to take Trudeau out. And, and then, you know, two years later, it's crickets and nothing going on. Yeah. And we're all still waiting for that guy to take care of it. Well, you know, when you listen to, QAnon people. And I, I don't want to disparage the people that follow that. Because, I will then. Yeah, you go ahead. You, but you know what? I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I mean, I've been hearing now for over a year, oh, Trump's coming back. It was a fake election. And that may be. I don't know what really happened, whether it was rigged or what. I mean, there seems to be a lot of evidence that never got looked at by any of the courts down there for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> You don't really know what's going on. Even when you read something that you think is credible. So it's up to us to put everything together. The Ukraine situation right now, for example. I have not commented on it, except in dribs and drabs. I haven't done a show on it. I haven't even spent more than 10 minutes on any given show on, on it at all. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what's really going on over there. I just don't know. Some people say it's this. Some people say it's that. I'm even a little bit skittish to talk about it right now here on, uh, on social media. And I'll tell you why. Because I know there's people getting censored and banned for commenting on this stuff. Which is ridiculous in itself. But um, how are we supposed to know? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You can't say for sure what's real and what's not unless you vet it against other stories and other stories from different uh, publications with different worldviews. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you can start putting the story together in your brain and go, all right, so this is what's going on. Unless there's somebody right there on the ground. And Beth, even then, they, they could be showing you bombs going off and they could be showing you people running and screaming and cars on fire. But you don't know who sent those bombs. They don't know who sent those bombs. They don't know because it, it doesn't say Ukraine army on them. 
right? And even if it did, you can't read it because it's a bomb. It's flying through the air at supersonic speeds. You can't tell. You don't know. So this is the dilemma that we face these days. And I think Donald Trump woke us all up to this in 2016 when he said fake news. Immediately, people went, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Fake news. Like you were you were impugning the news. You were impugning CNN. And then, you know, for those of us who went, yeah, I have seen this kind of thing go on before. I spent years in this business. I get it. For somebody to actually come out and say that and not play their game. Well, what happened then? They became inflamed and they started fighting back and they became the news they were supposed to be covering these people. And they went harder to the left than they've ever been before. And they were harder on Donald Trump than they ever were with any other president who had done many, many terrible, many more terrible things than Trump ever did. Why all that hatred? Because he called them out on their crap. Right? And he changed the game in many, many ways. So now we can look at the the corporate media for what it is it is a propaganda machine and that's all it is so Mm -hmm. our job as responsible citizens is well there's a couple of things we can do if we really want to stop what's going on right now we have to know what's going on so we have to educate ourselves we can get involved with local uh, organizations who are interested in freedom but they have to be interested in freedom first it's not about Uh, well, these are my indigenous rights and then freedom. It's not about, well, I'm a Christian first and then freedom. It's freedom first. You know, when you talk about all of these different organizations with these different plans and then nothing ever happens, there's a lot of these little organizations that, that are doing that and they never get anything together. And because of that, people become demoralized. Mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. together with a group in your, in your area that is active and doing something. What do I mean by active? I mean, running for public office, right? That is where we're going to take it back. Getting together for social events with these folks. So you can discuss things, you can talk about things, and it's going to be easier to bring that middle ground of people in, the people who are wearing their masks here on their chin bet, those people. Those are the ones who desperately, I think, want to speak out, but they're scared, right? They don't want to go to a rally holding a sign because they think they're going to be fired, but they will go out to a bar one night to watch a band with you. And now that we can do that, because mandates are lifted, now we have the opportunity to actually speak to these people in rational terms that they will understand and ask them some questions. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, starting with the Charter of Rights, you know, ask them if they know anything about the Charter of Rights and, and show them. Because right now, the Charter of Rights mm-hmm. is the most important document in this country. No, you know? no, no. <laughs> I, I've been covering this uh, extensively. The, the Charter of Rights, it turns out, if you if you uh, tune into and you want to meet any of the people from Stand for Thee that are out of Ontario, I just uh, unfortunately need to, need to get on the soapbox for a second on this, but the Charter of Rights was designed to uh, sabotage the, the Canadian Bill of Rights. And it has so many, you can, you can actually tell who's controlled up by who is using the Charter. They either are, are unaware or they are outright sabotaging. Because that document is basically all about the government. You had somebody on uh, earlier who said exactly this. What was her name again from uh, PowerShift? Nicole. <clears throat> right. Nicole Lubbersur, yeah. Now, she, right. she says that the charter is a working draft right now, and it hasn't been ratified by the UK Parliament. But Brian Peckford, uh, who is the last surviving signatory of that, 
of that charter. You think that Peckford is a controlled up? Hundred percent. First of all, Why? where is he? Where is he for two years? I mean, you're talking to a woman with intuition here, so this is where I come from. I have no, I have no science. I, I know things inside, and then I start to get intel from my audiences, and then it, it helps to confirm. But where was he for two? Where was he for two years while our rights were being completely decimated? And then why does he pop up and why does his story change from uh, time to time where at one point he was, I just heard this yesterday, at one point he actually penned the charter and then another one was that he, there was three things that he said that are, one of them, two of them are going to be a lie or all of them are going to be a lie. Why would you be changing your story? And then the nature of that document, the charter is about, is about um, the government giving you rights and the government taking your rights away under appropriate circumstances. It's built right in there. People people on front lines of say that the truckers convoy would, would be shouting out section seven, now I'm gonna get these numbers wrong, but section seven of the charter and the, and the cop would shoot back section one of the charter because that undoes all of the things under these circumstances, whereas the Canadian Bill of Rights 100% well, no, no, would, would no. has no, has no, um, no. no out. No. Did, did you see the episode that I did with Brian Peckford? Uh, I did not. I heard you talk okay. about it. You, you probably should go watch that. And section one is the section that gives a government the opportunity to try and do this. As long as they prove it, they have to justifiably demonstrate that what they're doing is just in a civil society and i'm paraphrasing it because I, i'm not recalling the exact language off the top of my head he makes mm -hmm. a point of saying that no government in this country has proven that anything they have done is uh helping right so they mm -hmm. cannot prove that masks have been beneficial either mm -hmm. they can't or they won't uh they haven't got the data why have they not gone to court to prove this they haven't done it that's why all of these tickets and one of the tickets that you see behind me here i've got two tickets for breaching the emergency health orders a couple of uh, months ago that doesn't even go to court until sometime in june um and i'm just going to say this is constitutionally unsound it's against the charter of rights and freedoms that's what my argument will be and there's several others i could use but i'm going to go with that one uh he absolutely makes a point that every provincial government and the federal government have been wiping their feet with the charter of rights and freedoms and he can't figure out why so he himself is going to court he's launched a case and he's using section seven the travel uh section of the charter of rights and freedoms now i understand what you're saying um and i understand what nicole has said about all of this and and these are conflicting opinions obviously about where our rights are and maybe why the governments have been able to do this but yeah. Yeah, maybe we can talk, maybe go for a tea or something after sure. and I can brainwash you more on that one. <laughs> well, you know or, what, I, I, mm -hmm. I would say that Mr. Peckford is not a controlled op. He has been speaking out for well over a year now. Now, so if he is, uh, this is the first time hearing of it. I spoke with that man for an hour and 15 minutes and uh, he told some interesting stories about, he never said that he was the lone uh, you know, author of the, the charter. Uh, he said he was in a room with nine other premiers and the prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau at the time. He told that he went, he took it, took us through everything of that process. And then he talked about what his court case is mm -hmm. all about, which is supposed to be getting to court in the next couple of weeks through mm -hmm. the JCCF, I believe. So we'll mm -hmm. see.
I mean, mm -hmm. and now, another, now if, another if one. They are, if they're controlled operatives, then we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, we're screwed. We, you know? we need, yeah, we need to, we need to take it in our own hands is what's happening. That's, that's, that's the problem. But I don't want to, I don't want to badger you uh, no, no, too much right fine. now I mean, this, and we can go is, on. This is, uh, your opinion is absolutely as valid as mine, right? I mean, like that's, that's the beauty of what we're doing. We can have a disagreement and still be okay with it. Mm -hmm. It's fine mm -hmm. with me. And I don't even disagree yeah. with it. I, I just kind of mm -hmm. wonder, hmm, this yeah. or this, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, just because this has been my my main gig for these last two years, is just looking at how many people are out there um, discouraging us from taking our own action. Also, you can you can follow the trail of everyone who's been using the charter and see that they lost and they lost and they lost and they lost and they lost. And, they lost. and uh, so, yeah. Anyway, that I would I would definitely recommend. Maybe I could introduce you to one of the Canadians over at uh, Stanford. The amazing amazing folks taking a lot of action over their Jane scarf. Uh, shout out to Amanda Ridding. I'm going to actually be hosting on Friday um, Rebecca Shepard from that organization as well. This is Stand for Thee. I'm definitely yeah. interested. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in speaking to somebody from over there. I would so love to connect you with one of those. Sure, please do. Yeah, I'm yeah, down for that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, because they can speak to it so much better than I can. But um, yeah, let's see. Just I want to see about uh, what else I was going to ask you about. What is the most fun interview you've ever done? Oh, that Paul McCartney. Mm, nice. I am when was such, that? Uh, that was in two, 20. Uh, when was he here the second last time? I think it would have been 2013. 2013 it was. He was playing the Investors Group Field, sold it out. So I think it was 40, 45,000 people there for that show. And I was with City FM at the time. And we were broadcasting live. Now, it wasn't face-to-face. -face. It was on the telephone. Mm -hmm. But we were broadcasting live from outside the stadium that afternoon. And Paul McCartney came on the phone. And we talked about the Beatles, about Wings, about his wife, Linda, who died of cancer in 1999. We mm -hmm. talked about his relationship with Ringo. Uh, because he's the only other surviving Beatle. We and and you know the answers that I was getting from him were stock answers. I had heard them a million times before in different interviews that mm -hmm. he had done, but I didn't care. Like I thought, what new question am I going to be able to come up with that Paul McCartney has not heard before? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? I mean, he's been world famous longer than I've, than I've been alive, so I, I didn't even try to take that challenge on. I just wanted to hear some of the things he had to say and, and knowing that he was talking to me and my audience meant the world. And I, I did do one little trick towards the end because I heard I had 15 minutes with him and that was it. Um, towards the end of it, he was in the middle of answering a question that I had just asked. Uh, I did it on purpose. I asked him a brand new question with about a minute left in the interview. And then he started wrapping it up. Right. I could hear him start to wrap it up on the other end of the phone. He was in the back of a limousine or whatever on his way to the stadium for sound check. And so I said, Paul, 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 we're losing you, Paul, Paul. And because of that, he stung, stuck around for another 10 minutes hmm. and was telling stories. Just a little trick that you learn over the years. But it, it, that was probably <laughs> the most exciting. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne was cool. I couldn't understand mm. a word he said. Eddie Van Halen, uh, Sammy Hagar, those guys were great. <laughs> Uh, who did I interview from Guns N' Roses? Izzy Stradlin. I've interviewed uh, the Motley Crue guys. 
Mm. Oh man, all the Canadian bands. That's my whole I'm, childhood. You just rat rattled off there. Right. Yeah. Like the Canadian <laughs> bands were great because the Canadian bands are Canadian, right? So they're not like they don't have that stuck up attitude, most of them anyway. And mm -hmm. I lived in Kingston, Ontario for five years. And I got to know a couple of the guys in the tragically hip because you know, mm. some of them still live in that town. This is before Gord Downey passed away, obviously. But I went and played golf with those guys a few times. They're great guys. Mm -hmm. And uh they, they have some stories to tell you too. So yeah, there there was uh, there's been a lot of fun ones over the years. I think I've still got most of them on uh, recording somewhere. Fantastic! Yeah, that's really fun. William Shatner was great as well. Oh, man! So he was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get texts at 4 a.m. and you'll keep telling me more. I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> that's really great. Yeah, in my marketing and communication world, we hosted a women's lecture series three four years in a row. And we had some names like Sarah Duchess of York and Lauren Bacall and Mary Tyler Moore and um, uh, just a whole stream of uh, of these, you know, big wig women. But by that point, I'm nearly 100% burnt out. And uh, it was very much just business for me rather than like, ooh, ah, with Maya Angelou, like really amazing, great women. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so such a pleasure to work with them at one level. But I was also disillusioned by that whole world. And that was part of the end of the disillusioning of just, you know, the the like we were talking about earlier, the the show and the the persona and all of the back end stuff that um, you know, getting into a car with somebody and having them be offended because I didn't tell them they had something on their nose. And, you know, it was just like this big deal. And all, the, at the end of the day, you're going, oh, my God, I just worked 18 hours. And for what good? For what good? It, actually, the lecture series is a bad example because th that was educational. People got something out of it. They connected in a really profound way around that women's, women's lecture series. But uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I needed my life to have purpose after that. If I was going to live and work and struggle for anything, it needed to be for a good reason. But, yeah. uh, but it's, it's still fun non nonetheless. I, I Personally, if I go to an event, I want to be backstage. I don't want to be in the audience. It doesn't matter. Did you meet Maya Angelou? Yes, I did. How was that? Yeah. Really beautiful. She was, she was, uh, I think, quite authentic and genuine. Not, I didn't see she, that she was a different person behind the scenes, as many of them were. But uh, yeah, very, very gentle, very stately, presenting her work. Uh, incredibly sad when she died some years later. Several of the women that we worked with have passed away from that uh, that series. That's, so. that's a, it, you know, just because she is prolific. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and meant a lot to many women and not just women. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she she was very profound in the things that she said. Mm -hmm. And I, I can totally appreciate people like that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Incredible so, yeah, body of work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So let's see. I think I wanted to ask you a question about um, what is the most courageous thing that you've ever done in your life? What I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Without a doubt, yeah. what I'm doing. right. I mean, I've done some things over the years um, that I thought might have been courageous. My whole attitude is just like that. You know, I mm -hmm. don't have, I don't hold back from much. Um, but what I'm doing right now is different. It's, and I can tell that it's different because 
of the messages I received from people. When you're on the radio and you're playing music, whatever it is, that's one thing. You're, you're famous in, in one way because of that. Locally famous, people know you. Maybe not even famous. Maybe you're just popular, whatever. Um, and in that world, I would go out and do a personal appearance, maybe a, a movie premiere or a night at a bar or something. And people would walk up to you. They want to know what your interests are in music and, and all of that stuff. And that's fine, right? But this is profoundly more important than that. When people approach me now, they're thanking me for building the community. And, you know, I, I don't want to take credit for that because they built the community on their own. I didn't give them any rules <laughs> to do that. I mean, they, they've built the community themselves in that comment section and on that page. Uh, and then in person, they've, they've built it. I mean, they have met each other at different uh, functions over the last year and a half, which I'm gra grateful for. But when I see people now, uh, Beth, it's, it's that they're so emotional and they're thanking me for speaking out because they can't or, or keeping them sane in this clown world that we're living in. And to me, that means so much more than, Hey, what's your favorite band? Um, not to say, not to disparage that, because that's what our world was back then. But now things have changed, and what we are all doing in this freedom movement right now is probably the most courageous thing any of us have ever done in our lives, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. we are fighting a massive uh, construct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent answer. I, I really love that, and it's a beautiful thing. To, to, you must have that connector uh, archetype going as I do that that the, the will to bring people together and again in the law world I didn't I really didn't know anything but I had the will to gather people and bring groups together and bring speakers and bring knowledge and, I'm gonna be uh, honest with you mm -hmm. everything I've ever done has been an accident <laughs> I mean it's never been intentional somebody yeah. a friend of mine the other day uh, a new friend of mine said I think you're a master connector and I went uh, what does that mean? She, you put people together. I said, look, at, I, that's not what my intention was mm -hmm. when I started this. That's never been my intention. And anything that's happened in that way has been them. Like I said, you know, I mean, just moments ago, I mean, I give them complete credit for, for creating that community. I just happen to be on the screen at the time. They're the ones who are building that community uh, are doing it. So I'm, I don't take any credit for that. Like to me, they just came to watch me talk and then more of them came and they made friends, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. they're like-minded, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and they all believe in, in our freedom uh, and liberty in this mm -hmm. country. And mm -hmm. so that's why they're there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. And do you suffer attacks at all? In, in my early days, there was a lot of attacks just because I had a lot of people in my world still that, that weren't on board with how I was uh, speaking. But uh, you, you know, mean from the Branch Covidians? <laughs> yeah, something like that, exactly. Yeah, that's Does the expression I've used. Down to... or stop you or oh yeah, every day. You... Yeah, yeah, every day. Yeah. Uh, I was walking. That? Well, pff, what are you going to say? You know, I I don't even bother with it anymore unless it, it it becomes a death threat, which I've had a few of. But oh darn. Um, you you just you know it, they mostly appear in the comment section of my show, mm -hmm. right? And if they do, there there's maybe one or two of them per show. And the key people, the ones I've known since the beginning. 
uh, who are on the show every night, they will tell me in a message that there's so-and-so, this guy, right? So they want me to take them out. Well, I can't go through two or 3,000 comments you know, and just find the guy who's doing it. I try my best, but I, I'd go blind on that if I did. So you get that. You get emails. I get emails. Um, I don't get any texts or, or phone calls because they don't know my number, thank God. But, uh, you know, I, I, was, give it to them. I was walking through Munson Park, which is uh, down by 529, the restaurant, a few months back. And there was a guy jogging coming the other way. And I was, I was even doing a live stream at that point. I think I, I had the phone up and I was just talking to people about what was coming up that weekend. And this guy ran by me and he said, F you, Shadow. And I said, whoa, dude, what? Like, what did I do? Mm -hmm. But they never, ever can give you a reason. They can never back up their claims because they are echoing, they're parroting the left-wing corporate media. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like memorizing something, but not knowing exactly the basis of it. So, exactly. but the, the thing is, it's become so emotional for them that it's an emotional argument. It's not a, it's not a logical argument any longer. And I've heard from many experts, the only way to fight back against an emotional argument is with an emotional argument. Logic does not apply in a situation like that. I can't have an emotional argument because they make no sense. You never, you never know where it's going to go mm -hmm. based upon the temperature of it. So yes, I have had a short answer. Yes, I have had attacks. I get them every single day. Mm -hmm. I probably got one of them on my phone right now, but it doesn't bother me any longer. At first it did. I thought, Whoa, these people really, they hate me. Not all of them, but some of them. And yeah, it bothered me a lot, but now it's like, whatever it's, it, it's become commonplace. Like water off the duck's back. Yeah, you, yeah. you do get used to it. It's one of those things. And exactly. can, yeah, yeah, there can be a lot of pain. But the overwhelming uh, majority of your audience is nothing but appreciation. You can see, I mean, I was on your stream last night, and it's 1600 comments in an hour, and it's nothing but appreciation. So it, uh, I it love keeps, those people. Right, right. You know, like I'm not sitting waiting for that, but you're neither are you not, you're doing this just for yourself because I like no. talking and, and uh, it's, it's fun. You're, you're doing it for the benefit of an audience. So it's really great that they appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I know I appreciate well, you know, like you I said, some, you know, some of it. Some of it I do do for myself because it's my outlet. Um, but at the same time, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm doing it for them. For sure, I'm doing it for them. I've I've heard I hear from people, you know, not just attacks. I do get nice messages too, and and they say thank you, thank you, thank you, and so that just makes you want to go on again that night, even if you don't feel like it. Sometimes you just don't feel like it, like it's too much. All of it is too much, and you just have to take a night off. But I I give myself weekends to just recharge, so I think that I can deliver five ninety minute shows through the week with without much trouble. That's amazing. <laughs> so good, so good. I love it. And uh, do you, the very last question I'm going to ask you before we start to wrap up is, uh, do you consider this to be a purpose for you, a kind of uh, yeah. sacred purpose? Yeah. Mm -hmm. a very close friend of mine said to me a year ago when I made this decision, uh, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're here for. And everything that led up to it 
everything that led up to it has brought you to this moment. So, yes, there is a purpose behind this. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a holy purpose. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's written in the stars. I have no idea. I just feel like I have to do this. And if I didn't, I would feel guilty about it because I know I can help. So with that in mind, and, and again, that's what makes me go ahead and, and do this every night when I just don't feel like it. With that in mind, I feel good about going on every night. And at the end of it, when I'm done, every single night, I just go right over here to the couch and go. <sighs> I take 15 minutes and then I start answering messages and start preparing the next show. Hmm. Hmm. So good. I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this work that you're doing. Thank you for joining me for this interview. I know I reached out to you a long time ago, didn't hear back. I'm like, oh, the shadow doesn't love me. I am so sorry about that, <laughs> Beth. You know what? I, I get so many messages, probably like you. I get so many mm -hmm. messages and sometimes I'll read it and go, oh, and I, I actually think I've responded to that person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I actually believe mm -hmm. it. And then I go, oh, no. So I do go back and review them. Uh, not on the regular, but I do go back and review them or sometimes I'll just see one by fluke. And uh, so I'm very happy that you reached out again and didn't take it personally that I didn't get back. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you. I know I know better at this time. Even, you know, if someone doesn't respond to an email, it can be literally the email didn't get there or went into spam or, you know, you can't let that. If you have a purpose, don't let uh, uh, an unsent email stop you. That's my right. moral of the story there. Yes. Be <laughs> courageous. Be brave. Be persistent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Be willing to hear no if it comes down to it. But I'm yep. so glad you said yes. This was lovely. I hope we can do it again sometime. And uh, you're getting lots of appreciation in the, in the chat here. So is there anything you want to share with people about about uh, the times that you meet again and uh, the platforms that you're on so they can come and follow you? Sure. I'm on Facebook. I go live on Facebook, on Twitch, and on Rumble every single night at 8 o'clock Central. And you can find me on the Shadow Davis Show page. So it's S-H-E, just like it's spelled there, S-H-A-D-O-E-D-A-V-I-S on Facebook. You can email me to shadowdavis at gmail.com. And uh, what else? No, I think that's it. Okay, perfect. That's awesome. Thanks, Don, right. for posting that link. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. We'll see you back here on Friday with uh, Rebecca Shepard, who is from Stand for Thee, one of these uh, very brave women taking a ton of action in the law world and helping others do it as well. So I want her on my show. Yes, yes. Okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, pass her contact on to you. Thank you, Beth. Okay, my pleasure. Bye for now.